long time ago, in a galaxy far, far away. This is the story of Star Wars. You can read along with me in your book. O is for Obi-Wan Kenobi. All rebel fighters met at fleet headquarters to plan their attack. Princess Leia addressed them. Obi-Wan never told you what happened to your father. He told me enough. He told me you killed him. No, I am your father. Hello, I am C-3PO, and you are about to listen to the story of Star Wars. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, to Don't Burn the Sacred Text, your official Clashing Sabers book podcast, where if it isn't canon, it doesn't count. I am Brandon Boylan, one of your hosts, and with me is my partner in crime, Lindsay. Well, hey, everyone. And today we are going to be talking about the Aftermath trilogy. All three books, uh, Aftermath, Life Debt, and Empire's End, will be covered in this episode. But before we jump into that, we haven't really talked in a while, Lindsay, so how the heck are you? What's going on? No, I'm pretty good. I think my life has been a little bit uneventful compared to everything that you've had going on. Yeah, it's been it's been a lot. <laughs> it has. Congratulations on thank your you. engagement. You, it's you. very exciting. And you know I absolutely adore Brooke, so I was thrilled for you guys. It was a it was a good time. And I, I talked about it all on the last epi- episode of uh, Clashing Sabers, so you guys can go listen over there if you care at all about that. But yeah, it was it was a good time, and uh, it was definitely a fun memory. Yeah, um, and I knew it was coming too because you had told me a couple weeks before you went out. Yeah. So I was like, I can't talk to Brooke. I don't even want to risk ruining it. And then like when I knew you were out in San Diego, every single day, it's like the first thing I did. I went online every <laughs> every hour, and I was like, Did it happen yet? Is it up? The the hard part was like towards the end there because I'd been planning it for almost a year and like getting her family out there and everything and it was just so much work I constantly was like trying to figure out something or if this went wrong what am I going to do if that went wrong what am I going to do you know making sure that I had everything planned for and uh so those last like week or two when there was literally nothing I could do all I did was think about, oh my god, what if somebody ruins it? Like, what if somebody messes this up at, like, the last minute accidentally mentioned something without even thinking, and I was freaking out. So, oh my god. it was much nicer once it was over. <laughs> That's I'd sure. imagine. I'm so happy it worked out for you, too. My sister is a reverend, and she tells me all the time whenever she meets with couples who are about to get married, you know, the first question she asks is, oh, how did you guys get engaged? And, you know, the man or woman who did the proposing always says the same exact thing, which is, well, what I had planned was, and they tell the whole nice thing that they had planned, and then it goes, but what actually happened was, so I'm really happy that everything worked out perfectly for you guys. Yeah, it was, everything that I wanted to do, uh, I got to do, so that was pretty cool, and then we got that lightsaber tunnel, I don't know if you saw that, that was- Oh, I did. That was pretty badass, so, uh, yeah. It was fun. It was fun. It was a good time. Uh, but what uh, what about you? What's been going on in your, your fandom? Anything exciting you've been reading or doing? You know, I've actually gotten really into this one podcast, which is, like, really unlike me, um, just because of the topic of it. But it's called My Favorite Murder. Oh, and I've just been, hold like, on, binging on, it. On. You're kidding me, right? No, why? Because that's Brooke's favorite podcast. 
Oh, of course it is. <laughs> oh, I can't wait to talk to her about this. Oh, man. Like, when we go I on got... our trips, I have to put in headphones because I do not like that stuff. You know, normally I don't either, but I think what I like about this is really two things. One, it goes into more of, like, the trial and trying to find the suspects instead of just the murder. Because I hate things that are, like, too graphic or too gory when it comes to the true crime stuff. But this is kind of just like, and this is really quickly what happened in the murder, and this is the entire trial after. This is the whole police investigation after. So I really like that stuff, but my problem is, like, the two hosts are absolutely hysterical. So I've been listening to it while I'm at work, and I just sit there with my headphones in, and I crack up the entire time. And people keep coming up to me at work, and they're like, hey, what is so funny? What are you listening to? And I like to just look them right in the eye and just deadpan, go, oh, just a murder podcast. And then put my head <laughs> back in. Oh, man. I can't yeah, wait. So I've just been binging stuff. that. I can't wait to talk to Brooke about that. I'm sure she will uh, be glad to talk about that because I just don't, I don't do horror stuff. I don't do that kind of true crime stuff. It's just not my, not my boat. Not my boat at all. I like happy fun things and murder normally i'm that. right there with you and i have no idea what got me into this but i listened to one episode and i was hooked so that's been kind of my week so far <laughs> but other... go ahead go ahead i know other than that it's been pretty low-key which i like yeah um have you seen solo at all again you're at what like 25 viewings i think no, believe it or not, I haven't. There's just been so much else coming out I that I haven't. I, it's so hard to prioritize everything. So I saw Jurassic World. I saw Ant-Man, which was incredible. Uh, I think I'm going to go see that tomorrow. You should. It's really good. I like those ones a lot. But I feel like with everything else coming out, I haven't had time to go back and see Solo. But now it's starting to die down. So maybe tomorrow I'll get number five in. Yeah, I've seen it twice. And I yeah, I haven't seen it since then. And part of it was just, like, we were traveling a lot and everything, so I haven't been here over weekends, and I've been working summer school, which just ended, so now I'm, like, trying to catch up with all the movies that I want to see, because we still haven't seen Incredibles. We saw Jurassic World the other night, and, you know, everybody was complaining about it. It was, it was fine. It was better than the first Jurassic World. Do you, see, I like the first one better, but I mean, the way Ash and I were talking about it, I'm sure you guys thought the absolute worst, so hopefully we helped you manage your expectations and enjoy it a little bit more well, than yeah, we did. That that was definitely a thing. I was walking in going, this movie's not going to do anything that's going to blow my mind. The one thing I found really funny, though, was, the uh, I can't even remember the main female character's name, the redhead. Uh, Claire. Yeah, Claire, there you go. But I remember after um, Jurassic World, everybody was complaining because she was, like, in heels the whole time and running in heels. And they were like, you know, this is a problem. Like, it, why wouldn't she just take them off and stuff? And, like, four times when she was moving, they showed her boots that she was wearing. I was like, this is very <laughs> intentional that they are showing the boots. I got that, too. I started, like, giggling to myself. And I think the person I was with had no idea why I thought it was funny. But I couldn't control it. The one thing I picked up on the same thing. That's funny. The thing that like made me happier than anything about that movie though is that Colin Trevorrow is not doing episode nine because yeah, he is just that kind of confirmed everything. It, it yeah, the dialogue in that movie was just terrible. 
it was just so cliche and uninteresting. And, yeah. Anyways, so, uh, yeah. Go, go see it if you haven't seen it. It's a fun little ride. You get to see dinosaurs for two hours, you know. I'll probably end up watching it again when it comes out on home video, but after that I'll probably be done with it. So, yeah. Anyways. If you have the choice between Jurassic World and Ant-Man, though, see Ant-Man. Oh, yeah, no, for sure. I would definitely say see Ant-Man. Um, we're... The hard thing right now is, like, Brooke has her boards in two weeks, so she's studying all the time, and I'm trying to force myself to do work, too. So I'm like, if I go to the movie theater, I'm coming back, and I'm probably going to just want to sit around and think about what I just watched, and I need to do work. So it's I'm trying to find that balance right now. <laughs> go at night. Yeah. But yeah. I'm so this way you come home, just go right to sleep. That's true. That's a good point. So I... You know what? We got three books to cover. I figure let's go ahead and yeah. jump into Aftermath uh, right now uh, and talk about just what are your general impressions of this trilogy as a whole? So I'm going to try and stay as positive as possible because what I realized when I was reviewing my notes and going through what I thought is as much as I hated the books individually... And while I was reading them, especially, especially the first one, I hated the first one. Um, but as I was going through them all individually, I wasn't really the biggest fan. But when you take a step back and you look at it as a whole, and if you look at the trilogy as just one very long story, it's actually really not that bad. You know, it's... It gives us a lot in terms of little trivia bites and a lot more knowledge and a lot more background information. And I think the issue is the main protagonists that we're supposed to follow kind of just suck individually. And even when you put them all together, there's not really much there. They're not really a cohesive group. But what I think it does really well is make you understand the Imperials in the story. You know, I love Ray Sloan. I'll always take anything we can get with Ray Sloan. I really like a few of the other characters we were introduced to on the Imperial side. So I'll say that's definitely one of the more positive things about this, is the villains that we get. Uh, yes on Ray Sloan. We'll, we'll come back to Gallius Rex in, uh, in a little bit. But... Yeah, I think you hit the nail on the head there with the characters. They were a real mixed bag. And this book, it was portrayed as like this post-Endor galaxy that it was going to show us about. But it's really about this uh, this found family coming together. But that's a major problem because it's poorly executed. And you can't mm -hmm. poorly execute a found family story in Star Wars. You have the OT, you have Rebels. They're perfect stories of a found family. And this just... It just wasn't. It, it it just wasn't. And I honestly would have liked a book of short stories from around the galaxy more than this trilogy. Because the interludes were great. And I like that the interludes um, kind of went through the three uh, three novels. You know, like the, um, oh. the, the guy on Tatooine who stole the Mandalorian armor and everything. I'm blanking on his name. But, like, that was a really cool one. And so more stories like that would have been better. My, I want to come back to the, the characters in, in just a minute. But overall, I just, I felt like Chuck Wendig is not a very good Star Wars writer. I, I felt like he really tried to just 
force his story into the Star Wars galaxy instead of allowing the Star Wars galaxy to influence his story. And it led to a lot of laziness. Um, Mm -hmm. Like, for example, when you get to the animals, he doesn't come up with new names for these animals like Minoc or Rancor that have, like, no earthly thing. He just calls them, like, Yaya Flies. There's even, like, spider monkeys or something. He he takes just, like, normal terms, throws them together, and hopes it sticks. It's just, yeah, he's not a good... I don't know if it said he's not a good Star Wars writer. It's just not a good science fiction and fantasy writer you know honestly i haven't read anything that he's written other than these three books and the short story in um from a certain point of view but no i i totally agree his style of writing i tried to give him the benefit of the doubt and think maybe just once i get into this once it picks up the tempo it's going to get better but it's just not there and it's not a good fit for this universe yeah i agree and they're just let's let's go back to the characters because i think that's where my biggest problem is with this whole story is that these characters are just they're two-dimensional two-dimensional really and not that interesting um let's go ahead and start with nora wexley since she is kind of the centerpiece character i i think this would have been better served if it was shara bay who is poe's mom or someone with a closer connection to the sequel trilogy There was no connection for me to her character and no empathy for her as a parent. And if I'm being honest, she was probably the real villain of this whole whole thing. She she was selfish and entitled, and she's one air quotes good guy character. I would not want my future kids looking up to. And 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 it's not this thing like woman should stay in the kitchen and she shouldn't have fought in the rebellion. It's it's just that she's boring and everything is about how she feels. Um and and everybody's supposed to like Temin's whole life is supposed to change so that she can feel better about the choices she made of leaving him and that's just that doesn't work and i mean i would have felt the same way if you flipped it and it was his father instead of his mother who had gone off in the rebellion she feels bad for what she did but she isn't like making any real strides to change who she is she just expects that she's gonna show up and snap's gonna love her again because she's mom and that's just not not a good character at all i agree and one of the things that really irked me about her is after you know after we go through this three book arc with her i don't get the impression that she even really learned anything i think everything pretty much just fell into place for her really really easily And I don't think she actually became a different person at all. I don't think she grew into any of her relationships. Everything just pretty much fit very simply. And I don't mean that plot-wise, because plot-wise, there's a lot going on with her. You know, she is always physically fighting, literally fighting. There's a lot of action in her story, but just thematically, there's no growth. Yeah. I, I agree. She doesn't change. And, like, you have three books to do it. It's not like she doesn't change in Aftermath, but she changes later. And af- Aftermath is just the setup. She just doesn't change at all. No. And it's I, one static character. You're so right when you say it's two-dimensional. Yeah. Well, and then jumping to Temin, which, first of all, I don't know why, but the name Temin just annoys me. And I... It, oh, God. 
I hate this character. I really don't like him. And I I listened to part of this. Um, uh, it, I think just I listened to part of Life Debt and part of uh, Empire's End on audiobook. And I love Mark Thompson. He he's a great uh, audiobook reader, I guess you'd call him. But with his voice for Temin was so irritating. It was like this. It was like, hey, I want to do this. Like, I'm Temin. I'm an angsty teenager. And I just felt, I, frankly, I just wanted to punch him in the face. I really did. And he, he just is, he, he, there's nothing special. There's nothing special about him. There's nothing interesting about him. I didn't believe his motivations. I didn't care for him. And also, I feel like Chuck Wendig like came up with this idea of Temin Wexley, and then later they were like, "Oh, let's make him, you know, snap from, uh, yeah, from the Force Awakens." I'm like, let's fit him in here. Yeah, it just it, it didn't make any sense. It, it was very and forced. Snap's just not even in the Poe Dameron comic book. Everything Snap's just not a character I get excited about. Yeah, no, not at all. And they. I feel like they're trying to develop him as, like, the new Wedge. But they there's no reason for us to care about him. He hasn't done anything special. He didn't really do much in um, the, the battle at Starkiller Base. Like, that whole battle was about what Poe did. He hasn't done anything significant in the comics. Like, it's just... I don't care. He's there. He's, He's there. just there. The coolest thing he does in Aftermath is create Mr. Bones. And I think Mr. Bones, for as stupid of a name as it is, and it took me a while to get on board with him, but by Life Debt, I was like, this is this character is one of the highlights of the trilogy. I actually really like Mr. Bones. So seeing that relationship was a highlight for Temin. But other than that, there's not really much that he does for the story. You could honestly take him as a character out of the story and still just know that, you know, Nora is a mother, and the story doesn't change at all. Yeah, I agree. And the the whole orphan character thing, I'm, like, at fatigue level with it. I'm tired of everybody who is our hero is supposed to be this orphan. Like, Finn's an orphan, Ray's an orphan, Luke's an orphan, Leia's an orphan. Like, can we just have some people with, like, regular parental lives? Yeah, you know, a happy family. I guess we have Poe. Yeah, and I I want more about Poe's family and more about Poe growing up. And that, for all of you who don't like The Last Jedi, The Last Jedi turned me around on Poe. I hated Poe in The Force Awakens. I just thought he was an irritating, like, rah-rah guy, and I just don't like those kind of characters. And then watching him get put on his ass in Last Jedi turned me around on it, and I'm like, oh, I want more of this character now. But I want to jump back to, to Mr. Bones real quick because it's funny. The first time I read these books, I didn't. I thought Mr. Bones was stupid. Uh, I thought it didn't really fit into Star Wars. And then as I was reading it this time around, hearing Mark Thompson do his voice and just, you know, they, they do the B1 battle droid style voice that you get in like Clone Wars and, and the prequels. It clicked for me, and then as I was reading it, I was able to hear it in that voice, and it was actually really comical. Um, and I appreciated it a, a whole lot more. And 
it, it turned me around on the character, and, and I thought it was a fun character. I thought they maybe stretched what he could do a little bit too much, um, and he was kind of... My, my only real problem with him was he felt like a cop-out in, in the, the plot. Like, anytime they were in trouble, let's just have Bones solve it by murdering everybody. And... <laughs> It, it, that yeah, there's there's it. definitely some lazy writing going on here. Yeah, well, it, and it's like the in in aftermath in the first one, Nora like two or three times they like fake her death, and it's just yeah, it's yeah, weird. and and none of those times I actually cared. She could have died, and it just didn't have that emotional impact for me. Yeah, absolutely. So, okay, so now I want to jump to some of the characters I think we're going to be a little more positive on. Uh, first of all, Joss Amari, who is the Zabrak bounty hunter. I thought she was actually pretty cool. I, I liked having a female bounty hunter in the story. I loved that she's someone who felt she was carrying the legacy of her family, because that's, like, something I feel as well, so that was very relatable. And I also related to the fact that she wanted to change kind of her, her family history, you know, with the debts that her aunt had and everything like that. And she's the only character in the book whose motivations I actually found intriguing at all. I agree with everything except that last point. Um, and we can definitely talk about that a little bit more when we get to Sinjir. Um, but, I mean, for her, I actually also really liked her. Um, I thought she was the only person in this entire story who acts based on reason instead of just rushing into things because there's this emotional component and it's going to directly affect her or not. I think, oddly enough, as the bounty hunter, she was by far the most selfless hero in this story. Yeah. No, that's that's a really good point. And... I like that she was kind of struggling with that. Like, she's like, I'm a bounty hunter. I'm not supposed to be this way. Like, I'm yeah. a lone wolf. And it was very Kylo Ren, but in, like, a different way. So it wasn't just a repetition of the same character like a Temin was. It was a, a, a new twist on it. And honestly, like, I would really like to see her show up in Resistance. And it would make sense because Leia knows her. I think it would be in theory... In practice, though, you would have to keep... One of the things that I liked about her and that you would have to keep if she were to show up in Resistance is she doesn't go too extreme on either side. So even when she was a bounty hunter, you get the feeling like there's still something very moderate about her. And that is one of the reasons why I think people relate to her more than the other heroes in the story. She's very in the middle. She's very reasonable. And yes, she has a good conscience, and she certainly leans toward the good side, but she doesn't go too extreme. And so, you know, rah, 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 this is the right thing to do. We're going to save the entire galaxy. Let's go. So I think if she is in resistance, you would still have to keep that fact about her as she helps guide these other people. Yeah, I agree completely. And if you, if you just have something where she sees the First Order do this heinous, evil act... And she just and then she's like, "All right, let's do it. Yeah. Let's go." Yeah, I, I, I think you have to have like so, some kind of uh, springboard for her to. I don't see her as a member of the resistance, but in the same way, she kind of was in this book a member of the New Republic more so because of the people um, that she 
was in relationship with, you could have a very similar thing in uh, in Resistance and help her kind of guide the new generation on. You could, I mean, you could bring Snap in and just... It, it would be an easy character to bring in and show her motivations and show her character traits really quickly in the show so that you don't have to have all this background with her. But then those of us who have read the books... God, I've read these books three times now. It's ridiculous. Um, you you could really throw in some Easter eggs and fun stuff in there. The other character that I want to see, or one of the other characters I want to see, is Sinjir. I, yeah. He is, he's hilarious, and I feel like he's someone that we all can relate to. His struggle, like, I totally believed... Because I I like to think that that happened with a lot of Imperials. I mean, not every single Imperial was possibly as devoted and insane about the Empire like a Gallius Rex was. A lot of them were just people trying to put food on the table for their family. And so I feel like once the New Republic started, there, there was a, a chance for a lot of people to kind of redeem themselves. My biggest problem with this character is just that I didn't really believe his reason for turning from the empire because he was a loyalty officer. And I, I really don't feel like someone who is a loyalty officer is not going to know the depths of evil that exist within the empire. And so that was a problem for me. The other thing is I think his alcoholism being used as a punchline was not okay. Um, like, there's, I don't think it's arguable that this guy is a full-on alcoholic, and it's used as a joke, and that's just not something that I feel like should have been joked about. You could have shown him being down and out and sitting at a bar without him constantly making jokes about wishing he had a drink in his hand, and I think you still would have had a very effective character. I didn't feel like that angle added any depth to him it just made him seem kind of pathetic honestly um and and not in a good way but overall like those are honestly minor minor quibbles and i feel like yeah there's a lot um that we could see with this character moving forward particularly with him working with mon mothma now what i actually would have really liked um because i totally agree with you he is a redeeming factor in this trilogy. He's really funny. Um, we can certainly get back to kind of that alcoholism and the PTSD he might have had um, and how they used it. What I would have really liked is actually for him to have been blended with Temin. And instead of just Nora's kid being some literal kid who she has to go back for and hope she can just put the pieces back together... I would have liked for him to have, for Temin to have been a little bit older when Nora left. And then he goes on and joins the Empire and he basically becomes Sinjir. So I really would have liked basically for Sinjir to have been a little bit younger and to have been Nora's son and watch them try and repair that relationship. I think it would have been a way better story if you combine those two characters. Yeah, no, that's a really good point. I didn't thought about it that way but yeah i I think that would be very effective um and and then you can you can go and play the alcoholism angle 
as like he joined the empire because he hated his mother for joining the rebellion and he was kind of a zealot at first and then realized how truly evil the empire was and didn't have a way out except for at the bottom of a bottle and you can take that and you can make him a, a more compelling character that's a really good point yeah because with the whole alcoholism thing i'm fine with them using it as a punchline here and there but it became really a crutch for the character i think they just overdid it and it wouldn't have been bad if it was resolved in some way but you get the feeling like it was never actually resolved and instead it just continued to be that punchline for him and this kind of way out for him it's just like almost totally forgotten about instead of actually seeing this character grow and go through it yeah because i you you can have him making jokes about it, but the people around him should be trying to make, help him get help. And he's obviously using it to deflect, and I think that makes sense. But yeah, him not, that problem not being resolved is a major issue. Um, and again, this yeah. is another character that he doesn't really change that much. He joins Mon Mothma and officially like becomes part of the Republic, but his personality is still the same. I mean, really, with the exception of Jazz, though, none of them do. Yeah, agreed. I agree. And, I mean, I think Ray Sloan changes, though. Let's go ahead and jump into her, because I know we both yeah. talked about Ray. <laughs> um, here, here's the... She's the best part of the trilogy, and what's interesting is this is not even Chuck Wendig's character. Like, he didn't even create her. That comes... Uh, John Jackson Miller created her for A New Dawn, and... I hate to say it, but I, I, I think she was mishandled in this book. I love I love Ray. Uh, I think she added a lot to the story. I I just didn't want to see her fledgling to take over the Empire. I wanted her to basically like have everyone tell her to shut up and watch her rule. And then she gets defeated and then goes out and forms the First Order. Like I wanted to see her more powerful. And in here she was made a little more pathetic, honestly. Um... I think if you had her be a little more hard-headed and braggadocious and, like, nose to the grindstone, really, and then she gets her, basically her ass handed to her, then it would make more sense for her to go out and seek, like, a Snoke-like character or try to find the Chiss Ascendancy or something to help her run the government side so that she can run the military side of the Empire. Um, but I think... I think most of my problem with that go comes to comes down to Gallius Rax, which we'll jump into it in a minute. Overall, I really liked her story. Um, the story that they gave us was really interesting. I liked seeing her struggle with like how she gained control, um, and I think the fact that she they made Chuck Wendig made her a sympathetic character, an empathetic character, without making her a good guy, and I like that. I would actually be really interested to hear someone's thoughts on Sloane, who was introduced to her through Aftermath. You know, you and I have obviously known her through these other stories. Um, she even gets a nice little shout out in Phasma. But I would be really curious to hear what someone thinks of Sloane only having read these three books. And the reason is, we know who she was as a young officer. And we know these traits that are so inherently, you know, Ray Sloan and so deep inside her and in her core. But now we are in a time where absolutely everything has really just gone to shit. 
and it's hard to say how someone would actually handle this. You know, this this is a situation where every single thing you've worked for in your entire life and all these people who you have followed your entire career are now dead and everything is about to be totally ruined and you're going to have no place in the galaxy. So it's hard to say how you actually would handle it. You know, I know you want her to be more, like you said, braggadocious and more confident and have this more compelling story and these better reasons to act the way she did. But I'm kind of okay with her struggling the way that she did because to me it makes sense because of the massive just overhaul that's going to happen. So I like that she went through these challenges. I like that we see her fail a few times. Um, The one thing I didn't like is that Nora Wexley was able to kind of defeat her so often because Nora to me just isn't that strong of a character. Whereas Gallius Rax... I think he was a strong enough character that it made sense that he would beat her out time and time again. See, and that's, I think that's where I disagree with you. Gallius Rax. Yeah, because you're not a Rax fan. I think he's a good character who is just poorly developed and mishandled. You, and I know this is like the same thing that everybody else was yelling about when these books came out, but having him be Thrawn or Snoke, I think would have been better. Or somebody totally different. He really is a poor man's Thrawn. You replace art with opera, and it, it's the same. It's the same thing, just not of not very well done. And I think you can still have Sloan struggle. You can still have Sloan fail as the head of the Empire. It just the whole idea of oh, we have this person who's been hidden out for so long and nobody knows anything about him and he comes in and changes the Empire. It was... it That's Thrawn from Heir to the Empire. Except Thrawn is actually compelling and Gallius Rex is just not. I think having him be from Jakku is completely irrelevant unless he's Ray's father, which he better not be or we will ride in the streets. <laughs> I, don't, I don't think we need that at all. Gallius Rax and Carrie Russell, former Ray. Oh my god, please just don't. Uh, The only good thing about that would be that they would be dead. That would just be the only good thing. Um, But I feel feel bad. I feel like I'm being so negative and I'm trying to pull positive things off of this. But it just, it it didn't, it just didn't work. Um, I, I know what Chuck Wendig was trying to do was, you know, oh, here's why, you know, things are like they are on Jakku and and stuff like that. But it, it just didn't work. Um, the only part about him that I was really happy with was when he died uh, because then I knew he wasn't Snoke or something like that. It mm-hmm. just, I mean, you're going to you're gonna end up with Ray Sloan going out and leading the Empire to the Outer Rim. And so... In Empire's End, you could still have had her as the head of the Empire. You could have had, like, the the board of moths and stuff that she had in Yupei Tashu overthrow her or something. And she can have a very similar story to what she has in Empire's End. And she basically comes back and is like, look, suckers, like, this is mine. You're going to do what the hell I say. So sit down, shut up, and fly the ships the way I tell you to. And it makes her a little bit more scary uh taking the empire out and rebuilding to become the first order whereas here 
it's like they were beaten and bruised and bloodied and it was like like they said in empire's end it wasn't the same empire and i just i don't know how i feel about that i felt i felt like that was a really unnatural change it was like all of a sudden oh the empire is like not even trying to hide how evil they are and even the stormtroopers are like torturing people and stuff and you didn't you didn't develop that very well. My, my overall thing about this book, and I think, or, or these, this trilogy, and I think it sums it up, is I feel like Chuck Wendig was thinking, this may be the only Star Wars stories I get to write, so I want to put everything in there. And by doing that, he just diluted the plots so much. I agree on that last part. Um... And personally, you mentioned Yupe Tashu also, and I think we definitely need to circle back to him. But with Gallius Rex, I don't think I really ever compared him to anyone else as we were learning about him. And maybe that's why I like him so much more than a lot of other people seem to. Because at no point was I sitting there thinking, you know, maybe he's Snoke. And I didn't compare him to Thrawn. You know, once you mention it, there's an incredible amount of similarities just in terms of origin stories and some personality traits so i do see the similarities but as i was reading it i didn't think about thrawn to me he was so much his own character and there's so much that he brought to the story i don't think he was the absolute best thing to come from the new canon nothing like that he certainly doesn't rank in any of those terms. Um, but overall, I liked him, and I think it's because he was from Jakku, honestly, because I am really, really interested in the religion that they have going on on Jakku and the different anchorites, and to be able to learn a little bit more from this kid who grew up with them. Um, and then even in the epilogue, there's a few more mentions of this religion, um, so it's definitely something that I'm really, really interested in. So I think I almost like Rax because it gives us a little sneak peek into what's going on there. Um, I do think it's going to affect the larger Star Wars story going forward. At least I hope it does. I hope we go back to Jakku and this all starts to tie together. Otherwise, we got this character and we got this whole backstory on Jakku for absolutely nothing. Why does everybody want to go back to Jakku? <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, I think having a character from Jakku is not the problem. I, I think what they did with Jakku was really interesting. I think it was just, like I said, this character is basically, to me, almost a, a one-to-one of Thrawn, except for not very interesting. Um, you could have had, like, one of the Moths be from Jakku, and he comes to Sloane and is like, look, there's this place out here. We can hide really easily. Nobody's going to bother us. We can train our tr you know, troops and really prepare for this final battle kind of thing. And it doesn't have to be the person who is leading the Empire. Um, I just, I think part of it, part of my problem is I love Ray Sloan so much. And I wanted to just see her in a position of power and yeah. see how she would have handled that. And instead, she just, she was just a, a lackey. I mean, you almost have to think of this, though, as it's not a story at this point about the Rebels versus the Empire. The way I see it, this entire trilogy as a whole, is it's really three different factions against each other. One is the 
former rebellion. And then we have the empire now broken off into two parts. One is the part where Sloan represents, which is anyone who wants to just resurrect the empire as it was. And then the second part is anyone like Rax or like Hux who wants to really follow through with this contingency plan. Um, actually, I guess Hux sides more with Sloan in resurrecting the Empire. Um, but, you know, you have Rax and you have Tasho who want to go forward with this contingency plan that the Emperor originally set up. So it's not so much one verse one, it's one verse half verse half. Yeah, no, that that definitely is true. Um, I, I The contingency was one thing that I actually really did like. Um, it, it totally fit that that's something that Palpatine would do. Um, again, like, I think my, my, honestly, my only real issue with these books are the characters, but the problem is the, the Republic versus the Empire versus the Contingency is such a side story when that should be the centerpiece story. Um, and I think that's where it kind of went wrong, um. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, to me, this this story gave us really four things. Actually, I guess five things. I would say this story gave us five things that we absolutely need to know. One is the story of Brendel Hux and the Stormtrooper children that eventually become the First Order. Two is what's going on on the Jakku Observatory. Three is the history of Jakku and how it was once a really um, lush green planet and seeing what kind of happened there. It doesn't give us too much information, but it gives us that much to go off of. Um, Four is the contingency plan. And five, I would say, at least I hope, that the Acolytes of Beyond are going to be a really important part of the Star Wars universe moving forward. So I look at this three-book story not so much as these microscopic characters, but these five larger things that it gave us. Yeah, and going back to the Acolytes of the Beyond, that's one that I'm really interested in. And I I mean, I know the theory out there is that they're the Knights of Ren, um, which I would be totally cool with if we're even going to talk about the Knights of Ren anymore. Who knows? Um, But yeah, that could definitely be something really interesting. And I just, overall, the stories just didn't click for me. The one thing that I really did, like you mentioned, was the development of the First Order Stormtroopers and how you basically had, like, these little kids. I mean, at least I envisioned them as being, like, 10, 11 years old, and Mm -hmm. they're already, like, willing to kill. And the fact that Hux, Brendel Hux is the one who trained them, and Armitage Hux, who is the one from the sequel trilogy, is the one who leads them. And I just, all of that worked for me, like, hardcore. And I, that part of the book was just something, I was like, yes, this is so cool. Um, obviously not, like, having kids murder someone is not cool, but having that story be part of it and showing how um, Hux, like, came to that position of power. Um, and that, not just that, but that, he wasn't somebody who rose through the ranks, but he was somebody who was just like given rank. Like he wasn't even, he didn't even rise through the ranks because his dad was, you know, Brendel and he was able to get through things easier. They didn't even put up that facade. They just put him in charge. And that was, that was a, 
really cool. So we've kind of talked about like all three as a whole. I want to kind of jump into each of the books individually real quick um, and, and talk about what worked and what didn't work for each book by itself. So starting off with Aftermath, um, I think this one is definitely a setup book. Um, it's just setting the characters up, setting up their relationships. And my problem here, again, we've talked about it before. Chuck Wendig is just not a very good Star Wars writer. He doesn't... There's there's this indescribable it factor that comes in when you're writing Star Wars, whether it be a TV show or a book or a movie. And I feel like he doesn't get it in the same way as a Claudia Gray or Christy Golden or Delilah Dawson. Like Even Delilah Dawson told a very different story in Phasma that felt Star Wars. Um, this one just doesn't doesn't feel like Star Wars to me. And there's no world building. I don't care about the characters. I, I would say overall I liked two out of the three of these books, and Aftermath is not one of those. So um, No, I agree. The first one falls really, really short for me. Um, you know, they, they really marketed this as a book that you absolutely had to read to understand and appreciate the new trilogy. And I'm still waiting for that. So I don't know what's going to happen in episode nine. Maybe a lot of the stuff that tie that happens in aftermath is going to start to tie back in. I just don't see it happening. I wish there was a way to skip this story entirely. Um, you know, think about, I don't know if you've ever watched the show parks and rec, but whenever yes. I find out someone is about to watch it, I always just tell them, like, skip season one. Nothing is relevant. You don't need to know anything that happens in season one. You'll catch up, and it's going to be so much better. This is like season one of Parks and Rec, where it's like, just spark notes it. You're going to get the same out of the story. Nothing big happens here that you absolutely have to know that you can't catch up on in the later books. Well, and... It also created this conversation around these books, like that they're automatically terrible. And I know I've been complaining uh, about the things that I didn't like, but I mean, Life Dead and Empire's End, I don't feel like are terrible books. I don't feel like they're good books, but they're not like, I, I think you can get something out of reading them. Like you said, there's nothing you get out of reading Aftermath. Um, except for the no, interludes. The interludes I was cool. I was just going to say, if you absolutely feel the need to read this and you, ha you know, if you haven't read this and you're listening to this podcast, you might have been a little, <laughs> a little lost. Not sure that was your greatest idea. But if you haven't read them yet, I would pick up Aftermath and honestly start with the interludes. I think those are really great short stories. Um, a lot of them, I like that they come back in life debt and empire's end but i think the interludes and aftermath were almost worth the cost of the book itself yeah i totally agree i totally agree um so jumping to life debt here's where things start to get sticky for me i like this book i really like this book actually i just have no idea why um i can't pinpoint what it is but like there's enough that makes me go "Ooh, look that's cool or "Ooh, look that's cool but it, it, it gets me just enough to make me want to keep looking. But again, the storytelling style is is poorly executed. And I want to jump to the life debt thing itself. Because the book is called Life Debt. And you get only one 
passing mention of the life debt. Han's like talking, explaining why he has to explain to the crew why he needs to be there at Kashyyyk. And he's like, you know, Chewie calls it like a life debt or something of the sort. Um, and it's just like tossed out there with no relevance. And then you go to Solo and there's no mention of the life debt. So yeah, that now surprised it just, me. It just feels wrong now, you know. And it, and personally, I like the idea that Chewbacca stuck with Han just out of loyalty and not out of obligation. Because if you have a life debt to someone, like, aren't you essentially their slave? I mean, where does where's the line from you know life debt to slave? Where's that line that separates them? It, it's it's really blurry. Um, and not just that. But you really get, like, nothing about the the reclamation of Kashyyyk. It's like, you see a couple things, and then, oh, yay, Empire's beaten in, or in this one little battle. Um, it was very easy. It was way too easy, and then they're like, now we're going to go take care of the other ones, and we don't see any of that. It's just like, it was almost like they called it life debt because they're like, oh, this the, the nerds will get this, and maybe they'll want to actually read this book after Aftermath didn't, you know really get people going um and see i kind of took it as not the life debt with hun and chewy and i think that's kind of why they put the falcon on the cover just to be misleading in that but if you look at the main characters on both sides both the rebellion and in the empire i feel like they're all kind of in the thought that they have their own life debts that they're paying off. You know, Sloan has been in the Empire her entire career. She's an Imperial through and through. That's her life debt. Whereas Rax, I think, feels like he was in a life debt to Palpatine. You know, Sinjir is paying off this everything that he did as a loyalty officer. So I think that each character, in their own right, feels like they have this life debt that they have to pay off. And it's not just about Han and Chewie. Okay, so... Taking that, though, then you shouldn't be... You have to understand that life debt is a weighted term in the Star Wars galaxy. In this, yeah. Yeah, like, it, yeah. it's not something you can just throw out there. So, like, for example, and we'll get to Battlefront um, on, on a future episode, but I'm, I'm reading... Ugh. Yeah, well, I'm reading Twilight Company right now, and they're in the Vader uh, scene, and spoiler alert. Um, but it's on Hoth, and Vader basically is, like, stopping laser bolts with his hand... Um, and they, the soldiers don't know what it is, so they call it a force field. They're like, he has a force field. And I thought that was really interesting that they called it a force field because he literally was using the force as a field to protect him. It was kind of an ironic thing. And it made me think about life dead. I'm like, you, if you say force in any form in Star Wars, whether it's big F or little F, you, you have to be careful about that. Has a new meaning. Yeah. It has a, yes, it has a different meaning. Um, and the same thing with life debt. And if you're going to put the Falcon on the cover there, and you're going to say that the main focus is on the, the reclamation of Kashyyyk, then you need to do that. Or if you are going to really focus on the life debt of these characters, you, you've got to find a different name for it or a different term to use or make it more explicit. Um, but I can, I can definitely see that point that, yeah, they all did kind of have this life debt that they were trying... Um, to resolve i want to i want to talk for a minute about um actually before we jump into that i want to jump into han and leia in a second but what did you think about the mind control chips um that that they used to basically get them to attack on liberation day i 
Uh, good question. I mean, I wasn't, <laughs> I didn't hate it. It to me seemed like one of the many, many examples of lazy writing. Yes. What, what would make me more okay with it is if we saw this again in some form. You know, I know we have um, Lobot and the antagonist in the Poe Dameron comic, Terex, Agent Terex, has kind of this, like, low jack on him as well at one point in the Poe Dameron comics. And that's as close as we ever see to those mind control chips again. If we could, and I say we like you and I have any control over this, if Lucasfilm somehow found a way to get these mind chips back into the story just in some way, even some version of it, I would be more okay with it. But because this is the only example that we have, it just seemed very lazy to me. But it's not the only example we have. I would say even more than Tyrex or Lobot or Sibo from Rebels having the, the like implant actually on their head, this is this is what happened with the clones. It's literally the same thing. They basically oh. flipped their switch and, oh, look. And it, I don't know if it was Chuck Wendig going, hey, look, this is like the clones. Remember when Palpatine did this? You should be really scared. Or if it was just a coincidence and he painted himself into a corner and was like, okay, I guess they're going to have mind control chips because I don't know what else to do. But, uh, again, it, it, right. goes, it goes back to the lazy storytelling. Like, if you're going to have mind control chips, you need to understand the weight that that has in the galaxy. And the weight, right. There, there, was no, there was no weight to this. Um, and, and I know what he was trying to do, or at least what I think he was trying to do, was make the relationship between Brenton and Nora, like, a little more um, tense and, and develop Nora's character. But, again, you spent what a book and a half giving us literally nothing to care about this character i i couldn't have cared less whether brenton and nora got together again i i mean i I was rooting against it honestly i was rooting for it mostly just so that wedge didn't end up with nora because i just would have felt bad for wedge (laughs) you hate nora (laughs) i don't hate nora i just don't care about her like it's completely irrelevant and like I'm sure Wedge is going to come back in future books, and I just don't want Nora to come back in future books. Like you can, you can just go now. Thank you. <laughs> I'm done with right her. Um, okay. You so- know what? Well, wait. You know what though? Since you mentioned that the clones had the chips, and it seems so glaringly obvious to me now, and I feel like an idiot. But what a perfect opening that would have been to bring Rex back into the story. Oh yeah, that would have been cool. See, That's why I almost feel like it was lazy writing and just a coincidence because if it was more planned, that's the perfect opening to bring Rex in. Yeah. And like you said, it was it was lazy writing. It was, again, it was Chuck Wendig trying to force the story that he wanted to tell instead of telling the story that needed to be told. And I, I don't know what that story is. But as a as a writer and a reader, like, stories you can ask any authors like there comes a point where you just start letting the characters tell the story and chuck wendig didn't do that he made the characters tell his story and that just it it felt unnatural especially so now i want to jump into han and leia because this is the part where i have a huge problem first of all pardon my language but han is a jackass in this book who just walks out on leia 
no explanation at all and i don't i that just doesn't work like that's not okay um it's not okay for han to be acting in that way it basically negates like the fact that he cares about um leia and she's just secondary to everything else to him and that's not it's not good it's not a healthy relationship and again like he just is a jerk like you could have told leia hey look like i've got to go help uh you know chewbacca with kashi like this needs to be done i feel like i owe it to him because of everything he sacrificed for me and leia would have still said like yeah absolutely i mean in last shot it 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 shows that she understands han's wandering heart and she knows that he's always going to come back home but here it's just like I, I don't know. I can't put a finger on it. It just doesn't feel like Han and Leia. The characters don't feel like Han and Leia. I think that's what it is. They're really cheesy no. and not in a good way. It just, he doesn't. Yeah, it's, it's like we have Claudia Gray who really specializes in Leia. And now I would say Daniel Jose Older really specializes in Han. I don't think Wendig really got anyone's voice down really well. Yeah, not at all. And like, Han is a is a hard character to write, I think, because Harrison Ford just kind of had that air of suave and roguish that you can't necessarily get on the page, but you also can't force it. Again, this is Wendig trying to make the characters who he wants them to be and let, instead of letting them be who they need to be. Um, like Han going, I'm not a snuggler, I'm a smuggler. I wanted to literally punch him in the face. That is the dumbest line in all of Star Wars. And yes, I'm like, I am more okay with Luke Skywalker, like, using the Force to move a noodle than I am with Han saying, I'm a snuggler, not a smuggler. Or I'm a smuggler, not a snuggler. Oh, God, yeah. It was terrible. And, like, and that Leia just automatically forgives him as soon as he. That hurts me. That really hurts me. You know what it's like? It's like. Padme in Revenge of the Sith. Padme in Revenge of the Sith is You're barefoot and pregnant. She, yeah, exactly. It's stupid. She's you develop this great character in uh, in Phantom Menace and Attack of the Clones, and then in Revenge of the Sith, she's barefoot and pregnant. And you're like, what the hell did you just do to Padme? She's amazing, and except for the one scene in the Senate, her whole story is completely like just yeah. washed away and forgotten. And same thing, you've got Leia, who is this amazingly strong character. She pulls the gun away from the guys and saves them when they can't get their head out of their hind ain't. And then, oh yeah, well, there's no war now, so she's just going to be the the girl who loves Han Solo. Like, no, she would have told him how it is and given him... She she would have given it to him, basically, for walking out on her and not even, like, telling her where she's going. Instead, she just... Oh, it's okay, Han. Like, I love you. I understand. No! No, 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 no. That's it. Yeah, I mean, it was such a gamble having them in. And I think... one of I definitely don't like Han and Leia together in this book. And they are my absolute all-time couple. But in this book, it just didn't work for the reasons you said. It just takes away all the depth of those characters. 
I think they were much better served in their relationships with other people in this book, though. Like, I really love seeing Leia and Mon Mothma together. I think that was done really well. I like seeing Han and how he acts with not just Chewie, but how he acts when the other antagonists come to help him. And I think that made more sense for his character. But seeing them together just didn't make sense. It would have been so much better if we just kept the... You could almost even keep the storyline as it was, but just having it focus more on their relationship with other people. Yeah. No, that's a good point. That's a good point. All right, so enough bashing that. Let's go on to Empire's End. Um, (laughs) My biggest problem here is I still think that uh, Endor should have been the Empire's End. Um, I think they tried to make Jakku seem really important because that's where Rey's from, and it's just not. Um, or it just didn't work. It is important, but it just failed, in my opinion. I think you can still have the story of the Emperor being interested in Jakku for the contingency without having um, without having this whole big battle of Jakku be the final thing. I just... I don't know. I, I, it feels unnatural. It feels like, oh, well, you know, we have Jakku now, so we need to tell some story that'll show why it's important, and here's why it's important. Thank you. Goodbye. That was my thing with that. I kind of like the Battle of Jakku. I would have preferred to actually see it play out more in the Resistance versus the First Order because I think you're right. And to me, Endor always was the end of the Empire. Um, You know, being older now and understanding the way the world (laughs) works, it makes sense why these other smaller battles had to happen. Um, But overall, I like the thought of the Battle of Jakku for the contingency plan. I just think it would have worked better to actually see on screen a few decades later between the Resistance and the First Order. And part of the reason being, to be honest, this might just be me. I have a lot of trouble reading about battle scenes and then visualizing them. There's just a lot of terminology that really, I don't know if it's that it goes over my head, that it's just not what I personally want when I'm reading I I don't it just fell flat for me just because maybe I didn't understand it. You know, I watched some videos afterwards where people people have actually gone on and kind of done their own animation of what happened in the battle and that made it much more interesting for me. Oh, and then seeing it those. in yeah, yeah, I'll see if I can find them and I'll send them to you, but the it just it makes so much more sense. To see in just, you know, a little two-minute video as opposed to reading about for chapters and chapters and chapters, especially because when you're reading about it, if you don't understand two lines of the story, you don't understand the rest of the battle because so much of this had to deal with, you know, the formation that the starships went in and the way that certain X-Wings attacked other certain ships, And it's really interesting, you just don't necessarily visualize it the way you're supposed to, and that makes it so much more complex in a way that doesn't need to be. So that's really my issue, is that it was just such a long, drawn-out battle scene that I couldn't necessarily follow along with, but I liked why they were fighting there. Yeah, I, I think you still have the Battle of Jakku. I think the way you work it is you have Endor be the final official battle of the war. You have some kind of treaty signed after that. And then the the group that goes to Jakku are the zealots and the ones who are 
like basically the evil of the empire um and you can still have a rax like character who is trying to like execute this contingency you have the storm the stormtroopers acting like like evil um you know that you had them beating up their prisoners and murdering people for no reason kind of things you you can still have that um but still have endor be the final like battle of the galactics of war and then jakku is like this this final battle between like the zealots and the rebellion um and it's not like the republic versus the empire and the contingency still gets executed because that's the part I really did like about this book. Uh, like I said before, that's something that Palpatine would have done. I think if you're going to keep things as they are with the Battle of Jakku, like you said, it needs to be something visual. Uh, like Battlefront 2, you could have had the Battle of Jakku in there. Yep. You have Iden Versio involved. I mean, come on. It just, I mean, we get kind of like the outskirts of it where we can yeah. see it happening, but I want to be involved in it. What I would have really liked to is if in Battlefront 2 we actually got to go in and see the observatory. Because to me, like, everything else was almost a side story. I think the real point of this story is the contingency plan and what was going on in the observatory and what Yupei Tashu was doing. And that would have been so much more compelling to have spent more time there. And that's another thing that was just too hard to explain in a book. That's something that should be done in a different visual medium. Yeah, I agree. And I think I think what it comes down to, and, and I don't want to go too deep into this because there's been people yelling about it forever and it's just exhausting, but I think this is the problem with Lucasfilm not having an overall direction that they're heading. Um it, they're, I think it's good that they're coming in and they're letting storytellers tell the stories that they want to tell. Um, because that's very much what George Lucas did. That's very much what George Lucas wanted Lucasfilm to be. Um, he did that with Filoni. He did that with the prequels. So I'm fine with them coming in and making what they want to make. But at the same time, like you have to have this general idea of where you're going. Um, you just, otherwise you end up with things that are just unattached and it doesn't make sense for them to be unattached. Like you said, why don't you go into the observatory in Battlefront 2? Like, there's no reason that you shouldn't. And yeah. instead you just end up on, on the outskirts and you've got this really compelling character in Iden Versio who could have had, uh, you know, an impact. And it, it's just, these books create so many problems I just wish they would just be washed away, honestly. Like like I said, it, it comes down to, and I think this is the, I keep saying it, but it's a really big problem. Chuck Wendig wrote the story that he wanted to write with absolutely zero care about how it affected the galaxy, how it affected future storytellers, or anything like that. He told a Chuck Wendig story in the Star Wars galaxy instead of telling a Star Wars yeah. story by Chuck Wendig. And, that, and that's the problem that it comes down to. So... I mean, I, I don't want to close on negative. So let's close with a couple of positives just overall for this trilogy um, of books. I think the interludes, of course, were were great. I actually I actually liked the um, the present tense. I thought that that was really cool. Um, I thought it was 
a different way of telling the story. And like I've said, I like that they're taking risks on how they tell the stories. Um, I think when you get to the battle scenes, having it in present tense makes it feel um, a little more action-esque uh, so that at least you get the feel of the battle, even if you don't know exactly what's going on. In the you get the urgency of it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, yeah. Uh, is there anything else you wanted to add on uh, on this book or these books? Um, I would say, and I kind of touched on it earlier, but again, I think there's a lot of essential information in this. And knowing Hux's backstory and the real origin of the First Order makes the new trilogy going forward so much more compelling. And I really do hope that they continue in Episode 9 and any TV shows going forward they continue to pick from the information we got in this because between the interludes and between Rax's backstory and what was going on with him and Sloan, there's so much there that you can pick from. So we can at least maybe five years from now revisit these three stories and say, okay, these actually were really good origin stories. I didn't see it at the time because I didn't know where they were going with it, but look at what a great origin story this actually was. And I had no idea. Yeah, I remember on uh, on the podcast we all did covering the uh, solo. Basically, everybody said there's so much more I want to hear about this and about that and about this and like it was. Yeah, a great sometimes setup. it's just about opening the door. Yeah, so this definitely has a lot of threads that you could pull on um, and, and get some really interesting stories. So yeah, hopefully you're right, and hopefully we get some more um, around the Battle of Jakku and as it regards. Ray Sloan and some of these characters that we talked about that we uh, that we really like. So we want to hear your thoughts on Aftermath, Life Debt, and Empires. And let us know, uh, did you love it? Did you hate it? Were you somewhere in the middle? Uh, oh, you know what? Speaking of love it, hate it, somewhere in the middle, we need to do our, uh, our ranking system since Wildcats. we always forget. <laughs> so uh, let's go ahead and just do it for all three books together. What is your uh, Lothcat rating? I would put it right now at a three and a half. Oh, you're much more generous than I am. I uh, know I am. <laughs> I I would give it a two. Um, and and the only, the reason it's not like a one, because I didn't like the story, the reason it's not a one is because of the interludes and because mm-hmm. of, like you said, the threads that they could eventually uh, pull on. So on top of uh, letting us know what you thought about the books, let us know how many Lothcats you, you yeah. have uh, given these books. Um, what kind and of- let us know if it changed for you too, because yes, yes. by the time I finished Empire's End, my thought on the trilogy itself totally changed from when I had finished Empire. And after seeing some of the things that developed in The Last Jedi, that even changed my thought on this book. So we would also love to hear if over the past two years, how your thoughts have changed on this trilogy. Absolutely. So you can send any of those thoughts that you have to us on Twitter at Clashing Sabers, uh, or you can send it to our email at ClashingSabersNetwork at gmail.com, and we will definitely read that on uh, a future episode of the podcast. Lindsay can be found at Miss Lindsay G on Twitter, and if Lindsay doesn't have anything else to add... We just want you to keep on turning those pages, and we'll see you next time. All right, by this point, you know how this goes. Their stuff, their stuff. Our stuff, our stuff. Not associated with Lucasfilm. Kathleen Kennedy, give me a call. Dave Filoni, I'm there if you need me. Our thoughts? They're our thoughts. They don't reflect Lucasfilm or anybody else associated with this stuff. 
So, if you don't like it, we're sorry. If you do like it, great. Let us know either way on iTunes, on whatever podcatcher you're listening to us on. Rate us, review us, share us, tell your friends about us, and dadgummit, whatever you do, just don't burn the sacred text!